0: Uh, it, it's that time of year. again. I get really excited as we transition into the fall. I'm excited for Hide and Seek Club starting back up again, uh, seeing all of those cardboard houses in a row like multicolored stormtroopers or something last night. It was pretty cool, all with black shiny roofs. And I'm just excited to see little kids um, claim a house for themselves and to talk about um, building our, ha- our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ. And it's a really worthwhile time. It's an exciting time as small groups start back up. And it's also an exciting time because football has started. And uh, I'm always looking forward to that. Uh, one thing we will be beginning again soon, I forgot to mention this during the uh, announcements, is we want to start back up what I was calling last year our cabin fever sports league. We had soccer and volleyball. But what I've said as a personal goal is we're not going to start that until I get three people committed to giving their testimonies at halftime. Uh, We'll start the soccer season once I have three people come to me and say, between games, I will share the story of how I became a Jesus follower. And we're also going to be peppering in their strategies for living the Christian life. At halftime, the halftime show, if you want to call it that, we'll be talking about... um, Dis- the disciplines of Bible study, prayer, how do, we, how do we go about that, things like that. We're going to have some, we're going to coach one another up at halftime, <laughs> we'll call it that. But we're not going to start any of that until I get three people who come up to me and say, I'll give my testimony. So if you really want to play soccer, I need to hear from you, okay? It'll be fun. Okay, this, uh, this Sunday we are going to be finishing up our mini sermon series on becoming a one-another people. Uh, we have been talking now, I think this is Sunday number seven, about some of the great one another passages of the Bible. And as we've pointed out over the previous Sundays, when I look at these passages in their aggregate, when we look at them all together, the thing that emerges in my mind is not really a concrete idea so much as a, an overwhelming feeling of longing. For, it, this is just my personal experience. When I read the one another passages of the Bible, I feel something like, and I was telling you guys this last week, I feel something like homesickness. But it's sickness for a home that I've never lived in. (laughs) That's really the truth. I have this deep longing to belong to a community like the one I'm seeing described in the Bible. And I think, guys, State Road is becoming that. By degrees, I've, I'm getting a taste of it here among you, and I just long for more of it. I long to live it out more fully in my own life and in in the life of our church. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about um, two words for love that occur in the same passage. Those are philostorgos and Philadelphia. You might remember that passage that we studied, and what that passage was saying is. Um, Set apart a special place in your heart for these people that you've joined them to, like the one that you've set apart for close family members. When it says, love one another with brotherly affection in our Bibles, it's saying, give these people a place that's set apart in your heart, like the one that you have for close family. Now, those were two words for love, but I find it impossible Just absolutely impossible to talk about being a one-another people or a disciple of Jesus without devoting a Sunday to the idea of agape love. Those are two words in our Bible for love, Philistorgos and Philadelphia, that we studied a couple weeks ago. But one that simply has to be talked about is agape. If we are to be faithful and true to what the Bible is calling us towards. And so the passage I want to spend some time in this morning is 1 Thessalonians three twelve through 13. It reads like this. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. At the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. It says increase and abound in love. First John four eleven says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In John thirteen, thirty four through thirty five, Jesus famously said on the night before he was betrayed, the night that he was betrayed, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by, all this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When we talk about one another passages, either in the one I just read from John 13 or the one we're spending time in this morning in 1 Thessalonians, it is worthwhile to ask the question, who exactly are the one another? And I would answer it in short, it's the church. This is the one another in view when it says, one another. Uh, We would be wrong, I think, to the intent of this passage if we um, made this a statement about our obligations to humanity generally. It's not that it's not that we're supposed to love humanity generally. It's that the Bible is saying something with a finer point on it and that we need to understand. There is a one another here that's in view. And And the idea here is that our efforts out there Of course, we exist missionally to reach the lost. It's one of the reasons why we exist. That's not exactly true, by the way. (laughs) I said that wrong. Evangelism and missions exist because worship doesn't. Our primary mission is to be a people who worship. We worship God. And when we go out to reach the lost, we are inviting them to join us as worshipers of God. Um, So, really, we don't exist for evangelism, we exist for worship, and we want to invite more people in to be worshipers of God. We believe that that's what's most soul-satisfying, that's what uh, is the evidence of somebody who's passed from death to life and is saving. And so, but one of the things that's really important to know, I think, is that when we're inviting a lost person to come to the church, come into church, come and be one of God's people, what are we inviting them into? So really, I think our efforts to love the world are predicated and built upon certain realities within the church. If we do not love one another, what do we say to the world? <laughs> what are we inviting them into? It says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. So the one another is separate and distinct from the for all. It's not that we're not supposed to love all, is that we're supposed to love one another especially. In Galatians 6.10, we see a similar passage. It says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So here, you're supposed to do good to everyone, but it's especially important that you do good to those who are in the household of faith, because this is an important part of our witness, In the passage I just read from John 13, Jesus said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus has those who are outside in view, even as he tells his disciples that they are to love one another. Jesus has a heart of love for those outside the church. And so his command to his people, first and foremost, to a one-another love within the church he follows that by saying that this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Jesus was famous as someone who loves. And what is a disciple? A disciple, as we've defined it many times on our Sundays together, a disciple of Jesus is a sincere, from the heart, imitator of Jesus. And so the command to love is a command to follow him in in loving one another. And so by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If you don't, you don't look like me. You're not representing me. You're not a sincere from the heart imitator of me. So our love for one another is the main apologetic for the faith. Notice what Jesus did not say. And here I'm borrowing from the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. You know, the love chapter, it says, you know, if you speak with the tongues of men or angels, if you have the gift of prophecy, you can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if you have faith that moves mountains, if you give all that you have to the poor. Jesus doesn't say, if you do these things, they'll know that you're my disciples. If you have all knowledge, if you speak with tongues, if you engage in incredible acts of sacrifice, he doesn't say any of these things. By this, men people will know you're my disciples. He says, if you love one another... So again, what are disciples? Disciples are sincere from the heart imitators of their master's example. And love is what Jesus is famous for. It was the defining characteristic of his earthly ministry. And this love, loving one another as Christ loved us, identifies us as Christ followers to those who are outside the church. So our testimony, our unified testimony before the community in which we live, must be that of a family that loves one another as Christ loves us. And this is why First Thessalonians 3, 12 through 13 says what it does about the Lord making us increase and abound in love for one another. Now, the first thing I need to make clear, and it's an important distinction, is there are people who claim to possess a special relationship with Jesus who just flat out do not love the church. <laughs> they, they say, Jesus is great. I just don't want anything to do with you and, and your kind. <laughs> there are those sorts of people. and They may not really even hate the church, by the way, but they certainly do not love the one another in the way Jesus loved them. They could do without us. And the illustration I've used in the past to help uh, ram this home how absurd this is to say, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church, is just imagine with me, how crazy would it be if after the service you came up to Sarah and said, Sarah, we like you, we think you're great, I'm so glad we're friends, can you just not bring Josh around anymore? (laughs) Uh, We like you, we just don't want your husband, right? In the Bible, the church is called the Bride of Christ, how wildly offensive is it to say to Jesus, I like you, I just don't want anything to do with that bride of yours? It betrays a complete misunderstanding of who Jesus is. You think you like Jesus, but you don't even know him well enough to know that that is a huge, to put it mildly, faux pas, to do, say something like that to Jesus, One of the proofs of an abiding and sincere faith in Christ is that we love the things that he loves. And Jesus loves the church literally to death on a cross. His desire is for us to be one another people. Jesus said, as I have loved you, think about that, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Is there any room to say to Jesus, in light of that incredible statement, I'm cool with you, Jesus, I just don't want anything to do with your bride? No, clearly not. His desire is for us to be a one-another people, to love one another as he loved us, and not because it's a rule, but because we share his heart and his passion for the body of Christ. And here's a distinction I really want to make this morning as we're entering into this conversation with you, State Road. Our text for this morning in 1 Thessalonians does not have that kind of person in view. And you're not that kind of people. In other words, I would be putting up kind of a straw man if I was preaching against somebody who said, I love Jesus, I just don't want anything to do with this church. That's not the kind of people you are. And that's not the kind of person Paul was writing to. Those people exist, but I'm talking to you this morning, and you are a people who love his church. You you love God's people and you love Jesus. But please note what Paul says to the church and uh, to the Thessalonian church. He says, "And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all." In other words, Paul is not writing to rebuke them for their lack of love for one another. No, he's saying you guys love one another, and his prayer is that that love would increase and abound even more. It's a bit like I have here under my podium a plant. Now, from where you're sitting, can you recognize the type of plant that this is? (laughs) This is a giant sequoia. That's what it is. Uh, Sarah bought it for me at Walmart. It came in a little tube with a packet of seeds and some soil, and you can start a giant sequoia. Now, I don't know in a couple hundred years what it will look like, but I do know it won't grow in, grow in Hardiness Zone 3 or wherever we live. If, I, if you look at this pot, there is not a lack of giant sequoia in it. There is something there, real and growing and alive and praiseworthy that needs to be nurtured. This is not an empty pot. It is not just soil. And Paul is not writing to an empty church. He's not writing to rebuke them for the absence of something. He is writing them, them to say, he's encouraging them to that, that what already exists and is in evidence there would increase and abound in love for one another. And State Road, this this is for you. The love for one another is just flat out not absent here. You guys do in many ways, in challenging ways, in remarkable ways. I am privileged from my vantage point, maybe as a pastor, to hear and know the stories of the many and varied ways that you are loving one another. And it's wonderful to see. It's great to be a part of. And so this is really neat, I think, that Paul is speaking to a people like you. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 10, he says this to the Thessalonian church, the same, the same letter. It says, Now concerning brotherly love, that's Philadelphia from a couple weeks ago, you'll remember. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love. That's Agape. To love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing, says Paul, to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. This is a these are verses I find that resonate very much with I think would be a good thing for state road. This is kind of where you guys are at. This is indeed what you are doing. But brothers, we need to be urged to do this more and more. I feel that uh, these verses out of 1 Thessalonians 3 are designed to speak to a people like you. You're not a loveless people. But if the tide is not coming in, it is going out. And if we're not increasing and abounding in love, we will surely be decreasing and shrinking in love. This is just the way of everything in this fallen world everything rots, wood decays, metal rusts, buildings that were once plum true start to lean. I'm building this rock wall thing in my yard, and I know that given enough winters with heaving of frozen earth, it's going to become tumble down. Everything is this way. And if you are not increasing and abounding in love, it is rotting, it is decaying, it is decreasing. This is the way of it. Do this more and more, Paul says. So Jesus said that the standard that should guide us in how we love one another is Jesus' own example. He said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. But Paul kind of confusingly says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. This is a bit confusing because whereas Jesus points to himself as the standard for love, is Paul here pointing to himself as though Paul is somehow our standard and guide for what it is to be a loving Christian? I don't think so. And we have to know something about Paul and and his other writings to know I don't think that's what he's getting at. For example, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, he says to the Corinthian Christians, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ, as I am of Christ, right? So in other words, Paul and his leadership, I think, is just acknowledging something that we should know and hear. We're going to be having a meeting following the service to vote on our slate of officers for State Road coming up. And one thing to know about human leaders in the church is that it really is important what example they set. Uh, from the nursery coordinator all the way up to pastors and deacons, deaconesses, it's really important to know that they are people who are trying, not perfectly, but just doing their level best to live out the love that we see in the Bible. Because I really do think that, um, well, I'll, I'll tell you this years ago, I was working with somebody on a service project, and I came back and I said to Josh Cheney, I said, I want to be like that guy. And he said, <laughs> Josh Cheney said it very wisely. He's a wise man. He said, and it's true, you shouldn't want to be like other people. You should want to be like Jesus. And I said, yeah, but between me and Jesus is that guy. <laughs> like baby steps, right? I want to get there. You're right. We shouldn't fall in the trap of comparing ourselves. But it is just kind of true that when kids are growing up in a home, they look to the leadership of their parents as sort of a, a standard for the living out of the things that we're preaching. I think that this is just sort of a, a, a thing that's true about human beings. And so when we're in the church and, and God has called us into a position of leadership, it's very important, and I think Paul took very seriously, that he needed to live out the love of Christ. And the challenge to me, or to you perhaps, if you're a worker in junior church or somewhere else, is could I say to the kids... Love one another in the way that you see me doing it. I'm personally very convicted by that question. Paul makes that statement here, and I think that's a statement about the quality of his leadership, and it's something I would aspire to and not sure I get, I get to all the time. So I think when he's saying here, as we do for you, he is ultimately pointing to Jesus as his Lord. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ, Paul would say. So with that in mind, let's just really quickly walk through how Jesus did love us. Um, When we talk about love one another as Jesus loved us or increase increase and abound in love uh, in the way that Jesus uh, loved us, this is another instance of God commanding us to feel something. When we studied Romans 12.10, which contained the command to love one another with brotherly affection... And to outdo one another in showing honor. We talked a bit on that morning about how God has this tendency to command us to feel emotions. And we talked about how, about how we should respond in obedience when God commands us to feel things that we don't yet feel. We also noted that the act of showing honor is a command to do, not to feel. So we see both here in this passage. Now, when we talk about loving one another as Christ loved us, I think we can fall into a a trap, a bit of a mistake, in boiling that command down to imitating the actions of Jesus. But that goes out the window, doesn't it, when we look at passages like 1 Corinthians 13, which say, you could sacrifice yourself, but if you have not love, you gain nothing, you are nothing. In other words, we can't boil this command down to to actions, to volitional will. Again, we come back to a command to feel. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, this is again the same letter that contains our text for this morning to increase and abound in love. Paul writes this to them, So being affectionately desirous of you, We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. So again, when Paul says, love one another, he here is setting an example for that. He says, I'm affectionately desirous of you. You've become very dear to me. And this goes beyond a command that can be obeyed simply through an act of our volitional will. Uh, We do find, though, a command to do things in his letter to the Thessalonians. He says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, you can do good to people without feeling anything. And this follows, by the way, a very similar structure as our text for this morning. Notice he says, Do good to one another and to everyone, again, denoting the difference between the church as a community and the everyone, the all. It says, and then this is a very important point, it says, and may the Lord make you increase. In other words, who is the one that does the increasing here? Uh, This, again, is the same problem we bumped into when we studied the passage in Romans 12, where we are to love one another with brotherly affection, how do we obey that command if it is something we just simply don't feel? Paul here in his letter to the Thessalonians says this, and may the Lord make you increase. In other words, that's God's work. God is the one who makes you increase in these things. The first fruit listed in the fruit of the Spirit passage in Galatians 5, and when I came in this morning, Adeline Cheney was drawing the fruit of the Spirit on the whiteboard in here. I don't know what conversation at home prompted that, but nice job, Gabe and Chelsea. (laughs) Gabe's like, it wasn't us. Apparently, Adeline is just reading her Bible. It's great. Uh, the, The other thing that's weird is apparently she thinks the fruit of the Spirit is like watermelon, pineapple, a lot of drawings. It's very cute. But the very first fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. The very first one, right out of the gate. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of a to-do list. It's not the fruit of some book you read. No, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that the Spirit generates and creates within us. So Paul says, may the Lord in- do this create make, this, make you increase. This has to be a work of God. Second Thessalonians one three. Now this is the second letter to the Thessalonians. We've been studying from the first letter today, but he writes this the next time around. He says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you. Please note he is thanking God for them. So in other words, he is gonna thank the he is gonna thank God for a work of God's in their lives. We, always ought, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Paul is, in other words, writing to them in the next letter about the answer to his prayer in the first letter. He says, I prayed that your love would increase, and I'm thanking God that he's done it in you. This is what he writes in the second letter, and that's very informative to us about where this increase is to come from. When I point at this little sequoia, and I'm like, man, I hope we grow into a big towering tree of love here at State Road. (laughs) Now, we can't make it happen. We can nurture it in some ways, we can water it, but it's God who's going to give the increase. And that's my prayer, is that we would obediently nurture such a thing, pray for it, but it's God who has to give it. Philippians 1, 9 through 11 says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So it comes through Jesus Christ. He's the one who makes this increase happen And are we praying for it? Are we praying for it? I hope so. Another way I think that uh, Jesus loved us is this. He came to us. This is very basic, but it's very important. Um, I remember years ago when Sarah and I first began attending a church in California, we were kind of upset because we'd been a part of the church for some time, and we felt like we had not been able to break into that church relationally. Uh, We'd been there for a while, and we just felt like, boy, we're not having friends. Nobody's having us over. Nobody's connecting with us. Nobody's taking an interest in us. We just feel like we're hanging out there. And then I think God just gave us this epiphany moment where we're like, well, we're not inviting anyone to our house. (laughs) We're not taking an interest in anyone. We're not being to others what we want them to be to us. And so that's where we started. We started just kind of intentionally moving towards other people in movies and television love is often portrayed as something that just kind of happens but the bible calls us to move toward love with intentionality purpose and resolve and resolve jesus came to us even though at best mankind felt no need for his coming And at worst, we were hostile and opposed to him. And this really leads us to our next point. And it's very important when we're talking about loving one another and that this love would increase and abound here among us, that Jesus did not love us because of who he was. I'm sorry, he loved us because of who he was, not who we were, which is to say that we weren't really, we didn't merit it. And this is a bit of a tired point if you've been a part of State Road for a long time, but it bears repeating, especially if we're talking about love increasing and abounding here. Um, I find that in my life, I naturally love certain people, and then I need God to increase and abound my love for certain other people. It's not that I hate them or anything like that. It's that I just might not naturally cotton to them, if you will. (laughs) Is that a word that's still in use, cotton to people? I just used it. Apparently, it is. Uh, In Greek, there were these four words for love, three of which appear in our Bibles. And the word used by John to quote Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry, the word used by Paul here in our text for this morning is agape. Now, the essence of agape love is sacrifice. Agape is a sacrificial love. And loving one another is oftentimes a costly, painful, and one-sided experience. I think of Jesus washing the feet of Judas. Serving him in that way, even though he knew who Judas was and what he would do, we ask, why would he do that? And implied in that question, why would he do that? Maybe you don't ask that question, but I do. Implied in that question, why would he wash the feet of Judas, is the hidden assumption that our acts of service, the outward expressions of our love, are a tit-for-tat exchange. I wash your feet if you love me and follow me. But Jesus didn't view love in that way. He loved because it was his nature to. And our nature didn't have to be lovable for him to do that. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Uh, One other word here about the way Jesus loved us, and what I hope to see abound and increase here among us, is comes back to this idea of he loved us actively. Uh, We have these three statements that we return to often here at State Road, loving God, loving others, and love in action. And biblical love is always an active love. 1 John 3.18, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Mark 10.45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. John 15.12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus' love, the love that we're called to imitate, found its ultimate expression in Jesus going to the cross. It found expression in an action. Jesus lived a radical life marked by a radical love, and we as his disciples are commanded to go and do likewise. And can you imagine what it would be like if we actually loved one another in this way? This is, again, one of those moments where I feel that strange homesick kind of feeling. I want to be that kind of friend to you. And I want to be surrounded by those kinds of friends. And can you imagine with me what that would say to the surrounding community about the God we worship if we made him visible with this kind of love for one another? It's an exciting idea. Uh, One other note here I'm going to Uh, go quickly through this, but he loves us for the long haul, too. In other words, Jesus doesn't love us in fits and starts. He didn't love us and then move on to something better (laughs) another time. He's deeply committed, and I think if we are to live out the love of Christ for one another, it does call us to a a life of loving one another with some um, resolve over time, kind of a long-haul commitment to love one another. I want to close with this idea, though. And Paul concludes this letter, and also uh, in Philippians, the Philippians passage we just read. Let me see if I can find that again. Uh, The Philippians passage says this, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And then here in our passage we're studying this morning, it says this, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Um, In my commentaries, I searched high and low and found it very hard to find any biblical commentator who would make the link between... The loving one another, and being blameless in holiness. But Paul here draws a link that should grab our attention. In verse 13, he says, so that, in other words, his prayer that they would increase and abound in love is so that God would establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. There's a link here between loving one another and being found as a holy people on the day of Jesus' return. I think that the link between the idea of loving one another and being a people who are holy is that holiness simply means the otherness of God. Uh, When the angels surrounding the throne in glory cry out, holy, 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 they're just saying, God, you are so utterly in a class by yourself. There is nothing that we can compare you to. You are higher and more excellent. The other day I I was walking early and I was trying to describe on the phone the sunrise, beautiful sunrise. And I found myself unable to describe the sunrise without conjuring other things. Like, I was like, it's pink, like like the bright inside of a clamshell. (laughs) I was trying to come up with some way to describe it. But when you look at God, there is nothing to compare Him to. He is just holy. It is other. It is sort of like if you came to the edge of the ocean, you'd never seen the ocean before, and you just go, (laughs) "Wow, That's holy. That's the thought. And so when it's saying holiness, it is saying that the amazing, awesome excellence of God is being put on full display in us, His people, and that the, the substance of that is that we love one another. We find very similar language about Jesus. Jesus said that He is the exact representation of the Father. In other words, all of the glory and the holiness of God is put on display in Jesus. And Jesus, according to the book of John, is the Word become flesh. In other words, you took the Bible and you personified the Bible in a human being. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Now, in a very circuitous way, I'm coming back around to this idea of love. Because in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, a lawyer trying to trip Jesus up asks him a question. What is the greatest command? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself." On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, all of God's revelation, the Bible, can be summed up and hung off of these two commands love God, love others. And we add, to make explicit what Jesus implied, love in action. In other words, all the holiness, the excellence of Jesus became flesh, and when it was lived out in the person of Jesus, it was the walking personification of loving God, loving others, love in action. This is, I think, the substance of what the Bible says about Jesus. And so when it says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. It is saying that Jesus would be made more visible in all his excellence, and all of his soul-satisfying goodness in you. So on that day, his holiness, his otherness would be made manifest and visible in his church. Amen?